Hi, my name is Paula Pant from AffordAnything.com, and you are listening to the App Guy Podcast. The App Guy Podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. And now, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. It's me, your host. I'm Paul Camp, the app developer. And I set this podcast up so that I could learn, along with yourself, uh, things that other entrepreneurs, uh, business owners uh, are doing. And we've been really fortunate to have a lot of interesting guests. And today we've got some uh, someone who's really special and creative, doing something amazingly interesting. Uh, we're really looking forward to uh, digging into the story and finding out uh, what gave this person inspiration. So let me get into the interview. It's uh, an interview with Gary Dana, uh, Gary Dana, and he is the founder of Complete Set. Complete Set. So if you just Google that, you'll see that uh, he has a wonderful website. Uh, Complete Set is a treasure map for collectors and fans, and you can. Uh, show what you have and then you can find what you need and uh, maybe buy what you need as a collector. So a really interesting uh, proposition. Uh, Gary, it's a really warm welcome to you on the App Guy podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So perhaps you could, first of all, just give us a little bit of background on yourself. Take a minute or two to just tell us what, um, why you got into this space, uh, online space, and uh, what it is you do. Well, I've been a collector since I was 10 years old. Um, at the time, it was 1995, and that's when I started collecting Star Wars memorabilia, in particular the uh, action figures, a lot of the vintage stuff from the late 70s and, and 1980s. Um, and since then, I've realized that all collectors have the same problem, which is finding the things that they want to buy. So the solution today is that you have to scour the internet you know, on auction sites, message boards, social media, looking for the things that you want to own. This is a very time-consuming process and becomes very frustrating, too, when uh, you miss out on something that you really want to own simply because you didn't know that it was for sale somewhere. Uh, so we're solving this problem by providing an archive of products from fans' favorite brands. And what that involves is users are able to contribute items to our archives for the brands that they're interested in or collect. And in doing that, collectors can catalog what they have and find the things that they want. Oh, Gary, I love the fact that you're using this um, wording, solving a problem. And if people listening can just reflect on all the other episodes that we've gone, this is literally the continuous theme of successful people is solving a problem. And it's almost, I'm guessing, that it's one of the problems that you had. What was it like then deciding to solve your own problem and working it, work on it full time? And take us back to that time when you decided that this was going to be your purpose. Well, originally, I actually saw people um, showcasing their collections, which is what inspired the idea. Um, so I'm a member of different message boards and Facebook groups that are primarily for collectors. And all the time you see people posting photos of their entire collection, maybe like a shelf of collectibles, um, you know, a pile of comic books, T-shirts, sneakers. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um, no matter what you collect, people want to show it off. 
So that's where the idea originally came from, was making a better way for people to show what they have, which was a problem for me, of course, because you know there's only so many people in your daily life that are interested in what you're collecting. So if you can show it to people around the world, then you get, get a lot more praise and you know conversations going with people that are interested in a similar uh, brand or, or franchise. Yeah, so uh, what, what I'm interested in is, uh, and I think this will resonate with uh, all the listeners, is that. Take us back to the time when you were actually deciding to do this full time. Uh, I'm guessing that you, you must have done some other online stuff to give yourself, give you the confidence to uh, pursue this as a full time, you know, occupation. Effectively, uh, it could, could you? Was it scary? You know, did you? Um, were you, were you frightened to, to to actually pursue your passion? Um, I mean, there's sometimes that, you know, you're unsure of yourself when you're starting any business. Um, but I've been now an entrepreneur for several years. I started when I was 19 years old. I'm 28 now. Um, so I've had other businesses and, you know, some of them work out, some of them don't. And it's all about that persistence, just, you know, trying to find something that you're passionate about that solves a problem and that other people could use. And really for me, that was the main motivating uh, factor was, being able to build something that other people are delighted by, that they have, you know, interest in using and it solves a problem for them. So as far as starting it, it was just a matter of coming up with the idea. And the hardest part was finding a co-founder um, that, you know, shared my vision for what this could be uh, and that had complementary skills. Um, I'm a designer, uh, so I do the front-end work, the HTML and the CSS, and then my co-founder, Jamie, uh, he's actually a programmer. So we're a great team because you know he has the programming skills that I don't have, but then I have more of the business background and, and a design and marketing background uh, that he does not. So starting it really wasn't that hard. It's really about figuring out what direction you want to go in and then maintaining that momentum once you get started. Yeah, because I can imagine that you know there's there's people listening right now who have the aspirations to start something, but uh, I guess you were fortunate enough that you didn't have a career to give up. You know, you were what did you say, 19, when you became a, an online entrepreneur. Um, t- t- talk us through those times where, I mean, if your journey is anything like mine, there's many a time when I've uh, hit hurdles and bumps, wanted to give up. How do you overcome those, those road bumps? Well, that's very true. Um, you know, it's something that happens. It's a recurring theme uh, for any entrepreneur. I think it, it's kind of been described for a lot of people as a roller coaster because you know there's amazing highs and there's really low lows, and um, some days are great and other days are terrible. As far as uh, you know, staying on course, it's for me. It's all about uh, you know looking at other businesses that are successful and saying you know what do they have or what did they do that I can't do. Um, you know, every company that's out there was started by somebody uh, for the most part. So, yeah, persistence keeping you going. I think that's um, it's too true. And in terms of like uh, finding your co-founder, is, is it a friend, a family member? Or is it someone that you found through a networking event? How did you manage to meet Jamie? And uh, how did you then realize it was... Uh, something that you wanted to go into work together and join a partnership? Well, it was quite a process. Um, I came up with the idea for Complete Set initially, probably, I think, like three, almost four years ago now. But it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that we actually launched something. Um, So in terms of meeting him, it was, uh, like I said, a process. I had to go to a lot of networking events. Um, One of them you may have heard of is called Startup Weekend. 
Uh, they have them around the world. And uh, at Startup Weekend, I pitched my idea and, you know, tried to get a team together to build it. And that didn't work out. So I went to other events and met people there and talked to programmers and literally just talked to dozens of people. Um, I probably considered like five or six different people, programmers, um, technical co-founders before we actually met. And we met through a program called The Incubator, which is at a university here uh, in uh, the Cincinnati, Ohio area. And uh, the program was designed to test the viability of business ideas. So at the time, Complete Set was literally just an idea. There was no code written. I think the most I had done at that point was just have a, like a request and invite uh, basic website, like a splash landing page. And I applied for that, was accepted, received $5,000 in seed funding. Um, and then at that point, people could apply to my team. Jamie was one of several applicants that applied to my team. And at the time, he was a student at the university. And I should point out, too, that I also went to the same school, uh, but I was in a different major and had already graduated at the time that I was accepted to the program. So he applied and, you know, we just talked to each other and I told him about like what I wanted to do. Uh, and he just seemed like a good fit. Um, you know, he definitely had a lot of learning to do in terms of uh, you know, the programming skills needed. But along the way, he learned how to do everything he needed to know and has really become a great entrepreneur. Yes, it's so interesting. I mean, the networking is going to be very relevant to the audience. I've been trying to figure out uh, my own uh, program to help people network smarter because some of the mistakes I've made uh, during my online career is that I get involved in uh, networking events that just are not relevant or you meet the inappropriate people, you know, people that cannot move your business forward. And it sounds to me like you, you stumbled on well, the incubator you know, program and that was perfect for you in terms of getting the, the, uh, the project off the ground and meeting your co-founder. So is, is there a right way to network and a kind of wrong way? I think the way I did it was really the way to go, it, depending on what type of co-founder you're looking for. Um, you know, it's really difficult to find people that have the complementary skill set that you need um, that are also entrepreneurial. So when you factor in all these different criteria, uh, you're looking for a needle in a haystack, really, because most people that are entrepreneurial um, that have the skills that you need for your team oftentimes have something that they're already working on. So to convince them that, hey, you need to abandon that to work on my project that I came up with the idea for is not an easy task. Uh, so I think just like the rest of entrepreneurial process, uh, persistence, I mean, I didn't give up just because, you know, it didn't work out at one event. I just went to another one. And yeah, sometimes it can be a bit demoralizing and depressing when people <laughs> are like, no, I, you know, I want to work on my own thing or I don't have time, which was the common common uh, theme that I heard from people, I don't have time. Uh, so, you know, you have to just keep pushing and keep talking to people. And sometimes you also have to give people a chance too. Um, you know, you might have doubts about somebody, but um, as important as it is to pick the right co-founder, it's also important to give people an opportunity to prove themselves. And, you know, the way we were able to do that is just, you know, I gave him like some tests, things to work on and you know, he impressed me with all those. So it was just a matter of uh, moving forward from there. Well, this is very valuable advice, Gary. And I was just thinking in terms of, uh, you know, the, the co-founder again. I mean, if it's a wrong match, then I guess that can jeopardize the entire uh, project. So um, 
you, would you reiterate the importance of uh, just getting a good match? Yeah, it's really it's it's like a marriage, really, um, when you have a co-founder because you're going to spend a lot of time with this person. Um, you know, you're going to be you're going to go through hard times and good times with them. So it's important that the person is someone that wants to build the same thing that you want to build. Sometimes people want to get different things out of the business. Some people maybe want to just get rich. Other people, they, they care more about building something. Um, so there's all different motivations for different entrepreneurs. And sometimes that can work, but it seems to be best if both founders or all founders involved are all kind of moving in the same direction. They're on the same page about what they want the business to accomplish. What is the end goal? Uh, so that's something that is very important when you're selecting someone is trying to figure out what are their motivations in joining this. Is it because they don't, you know, they want to be their own boss? Uh, do they want to make a lot of money? Um, you know, because for example, if they want to make a lot of money. Well, as many people know, the startup process is no guarantee to uh, riches. Uh, you know, you can lose a lot of money, um, and in a way, it's like gambling because of that. Um, but you, know, you need to figure out what what do they want to get out of it, and I think that's very important as well as like their personality. Uh, you know, if you have two people that want to be the leader, you have then too many uh, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Basically, you know, you have to have that one guy that's the CEO role, even if you don't officially have titles, and then you have to have the other people that are kind of you know in the in the back room doing the work uh, necessary to build your product, um, but aren't necessarily the guy that's in the front doing the, the PR and stuff like that. And I'm also, I, I believe, and I'm, I'm guessing that you share this belief, is that you need complementary skills uh, because there's no point in, in appointing a co-founder that uh, has the same skill set as you. I mean, you said you're a designer, so I'm assuming that Jamie uh, has more uh, of the development side, the coding side. Is that is that fair? Yes, that's correct. And, you know, for a technology startup, uh, you know, which is very much what Complete Set is, uh, being web-based and soon, you know, on iOS, um, you know, you really need three different skill sets, the designer, the hacker, and the hustler. In our case, it's a little unique uh, because of the fact that I serve two roles. I am both the designer and the hustler of our team. We only have two co-founders. Um, ideally, we'd have a third person and, and be, a, um, you know, the designer and kind of take over that role from me. Um, but after going through the uh, long, long process of finding, you know, a technical co-founder that, you know, the hacker for our team, uh, it, it didn't seem like a good use of time. If I could, you know, code the thing, the front end and, you know, make it look beautiful and everything like that um, my, myself and then essentially, you know, pass the code off to him, then that works fine for us. So there's oh, so much to talk about here, Gary. This is great. I'm almost feeling like I'm sharing your story with you. And uh, so in, in terms of the idea, how difficult was it for you, given that it was your idea to, to actually talk about it, to be transparent, to be open and to share the idea with other entrepreneurs who possibly could take the idea and do it themselves? Was that a, a challenging time to, to try and give up your idea and be transparent about it? Well, that's something that, you know, people debate about, you know, whether you should be like this stealth startup and not tell anybody about what you're doing or be very vague about it. And, um, you know, I kind of learned that, you know, as much work as it takes to do this, I'd be my guest to please steal the idea, because if you can do it better then you deserve to win, um, you know, at, at this initiative. And, uh, you know, most cases, people that are 
qualified and can execute well as a, as a team or as entrepreneurs are uh, most likely going to uh, you know, have their own ideas. They're not going to want to steal someone else's. And it's almost arrogant in a way to assume that your idea is so good that someone else is going to drop everything they're doing, their job, their startup, you know, whatever it is that they have going on to focus on your idea. Um, I mean, ideas are really a dime a dozen. It's all about execution. So even if someone steals the idea, that doesn't mean that they're going to execute as well as you do. Because you, if you put two companies with the same exact product and one team wants it more and they're more passionate about it, and they want to solve that problem, they're most likely going to win. Uh, because of all the, the struggles that you have as a startup, no matter how good the idea is, uh, you know, if you're not really passionate about it and you don't have this, I guess, you know, obsessive nature to solve the problem uh, that your company is trying to solve, then you're probably not going to be around very long anyway. So as far as talking to people, I think it's good to talk to people, as many people as possible, because it's unlikely that someone's going to steal your exact idea, and nothing seems to be original really anymore. Anyway, um, there are people <laughs> that have tried things, but uh, there's so many startups out there that it really comes down to you know who's going to network the best, who's going to execute the best, and if you think you can do that, then by all means, you should talk to as many people as possible because that's how you're going to sign people up for the site and how you're going to get feedback from people. Yeah, I would all urge the the listeners right now to not be secret about their ideas because I believe secrecy uh, it kills ideas and it's good to be open transparent and uh, then you know it's almost like again that proof of concept you said that you had to go through a proof of concept stage and the more people you talk about the idea then uh, if you can get their feedback early and you can get their validation which then just goes to cement that uh, proof of concept uh, so so let's talk about the iOS app. You said that there's a future iOS um, app in the process. Uh, how how far along of the process have you got with launching your um, iPhone app? We're in the process of developing it now. So it's been designed and now it's just a matter of, you know, getting it coded, um, which we're, you know, working on every day. Um, and that's going to be a, a great addition to our suite of products because uh, more and more people are using mobile and you know when it comes to collectibles, uh, when you have the opportunity to buy something, it, you know it can be you know here for or online for a couple minutes or an hour, and you have a very small window to buy that item. So by having a mobile app, then people will be able to you know access the listings and be able to buy and sell things from anywhere. Yeah, and I guess you could set up push notifications so people then are getting alerted to anything in their watch list or. Um, so talk us through then the, the process of uh, going about you know, building an app, because this is the App Guy podcast. We have a ton of indie app developers you know, listening to the, the episode. And uh, we just love to hear from you as a, almost um, you know, someone that's setting up your own app. Uh, did, did you appoint outside coders? You know, to talk us through that, that kind of early stages of prototyping and, and what it's like to, to actually be building an app. Well, we are designing and developing the entire thing ourselves. Um, we're not hiring anybody to do it. So Jamie and I, the two of us, are the ones that are building it. And uh, truthfully, neither one of us has ever built an app before. Um, in fact, you know, I've not even designed one before. So it's definitely been a learning experience. And what I've tried to do from a design standpoint is to look at different apps um, that you know maybe are similar or have similar content uh, to what we're doing. And I actually took screenshots of all those apps 
put them into Dropbox folder, organized by app, and have just analyzed them. Like, what makes these apps successful? Why is that button on the right instead of the left? You know, all these questions I asked myself because somebody on, on their end took time and, and the pain to figure out where's the right way to put all this stuff. How big should the button be? What color should it be? All these things factor into a successful design for an app because as I keep telling my co-founder, um, you know, we have like one chance with this thing. You know, it's, we need to wow people. When they download this, we want them to be just mesmerized by the quality of the app um, and you know, for, for the people that we're serving, of course. Uh, so the process has really been about looking at other people's work and figuring out what features could we use in ours and what features do we need? And it's really an exercise of boiling it down to the bare essentials because especially with, with any product really, but especially with mobile apps, you have very little space. So you can't just keep adding stuff without taking something else away. Uh, so it's all been about kind of, I guess, learning in terms of uh, web development, taking those skills that I have from working with a browser and being able to put that into a smaller screen. So it can be challenging because in a way you have so many more opportunities with these interactions and you know the ability to touch something instead of click it and a swiping, all that can make a much more interesting user experience than just clicking stuff. So the process has really been interesting for us. It's been challenging and refreshing to work on something that doesn't require us to deal with Internet Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm thinking back to an episode we had with uh, someone who is an expert with user onboarding. And uh, there's a whole industry that's um, really now starting to come up uh, that looks at the way apps work, uh, where they the way they onboard their users. Uh, I'm thinking in particular um, useronboard.com. And uh, what the founder there has done is uh, do some, he's, he's done some teardowns, you know, where he's, uh, taken like some of the top apps and then just literally broken them down and uh, and produced uh, slide shares where they go through and the reasons for um, you know certain things certain features uh, so that's really a good um, resource and I know that as your app um, I guess more get gets more demand and stuff that you could possibly use a user onboarding service and there's um, other prototyping apps that are really coming out that are great. Uh, popapp.in, popapp.in is something I've used in the past where you can take screenshots of your uh, Dropbox um, folders and then you can link all the, the different components of the app together to, to, to really get a feel of how it's going to work uh, as, a, as an early prototype. And uh, uh, there's websites called Balsamic and... Uh, mockups, mockups is another one. Uh, uh, Moqups.com, uh, I think, is the address, and, and they're really great for doing prototyping. So, just thought I'd mention some of those uh, resources. Yes, uh, we're actually using one called Envision. I forgot to mention that, um, and that was one that just another designer uses, and he said, "Oh, you know, you should, you know, try try out this." And uh, that is a very important part of the app development process is the storyboarding, because unlike a website where you can just make a sitemap. Um, because of the way that you know you use an app with the touching, uh, it's very important to understand. Similar to a movie, what is like scene by scene? What's happening when someone clicks something? Where does it go? What does it do? What are the animations involved? Uh, so it is something that we've been doing as we you know design the app and everything. 
Well, that's a great resource. Uh, that's envisionapp.com. If you're listening, envisionapp.com. It sounds like a, a really good great resource. I'm actually going to sign up for that and have a play with it. Uh, so uh, let's talk about your app, uh, your phone. We love talking about apps on the App Guide podcast. So um, what, what phone do you carry? What type of phone? Yeah, a smartphone. What smartphone is the one that you use the most? Oh, I use an iPhone uh, 5. Oh, I don't great. have a 5S yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's, there's a debate on whether it's worth upgrading. But uh, what, what sort of apps do you use to get you through the day? Have you got any uh, apps that you think are unique or perhaps you could uh, mention? Uh, Instagram, as popular as it is, has been great for us. Uh, we use it to you know just connect with collectors. We post photos of different items that are featured on our site. So maybe we make about three, four posts a day, you know, on a good day. Um, and we'll just post unique photos of collectibles and toys, any anything really, um, pictures from movies. Uh, so for example, like on Mother's Day, we posted a photo of uh, Sarah Connor, the mother from Terminator. It's funny because, you know, it's like a pop culture reference. So people that know, you know, like sci-fi or remember like the 80s movies, you know, appreciate stuff like that. Um, so that's one that I use every day. You know, I'm the person in charge of our social media marketing. Uh, and that's, you know, an important part of how we acquire users is just by spreading the word through content marketing, essentially. Yeah, th- th- this is so good, Gary, because um, uh, let's talk through how you're using Instagram then, because that uh, sounds really interesting the way you're doing that. Well, we use it for social media marketing. So, we post pictures about three or four a day of different collectibles. So it may be toys, um, T-shirts. It could be pictures of collections. Those are always really popular. Yeah, and these are uh, photos from your website, are they? Yes, for the most part, it's all items that are featured on our website. So what we'll do is, you know, we'll post a photo of, like recently we post uh, just yesterday, a uh, life-size Yoda statue. So, of course, you know, famous Star Wars character, and we, you know, say who it's made by, um, and we tell them that, hey, you can collect this on completeset.com. So, no matter what you're doing, especially if you're, you're a consumer-facing app or company, uh, it's very important to connect with people by posting stuff that, you know, they're going to recognize and then connect with in some way. And so, do you, uh, put, do you put your, do you put like a watermark on the image as well, or like a reference on the image itself to complete set? Uh, no, we don't because most of the images we don't take ourselves. So, you know, we're not the ones that photographed it. And, uh, you know, we don't care if someone takes it because it came from somewhere else anyway. And, you know, when possible, we'll say who took the photo. Usually it's the manufacturer or the brand. And they're more than happy to send out photos because, of course, we're just promoting their brand and, and their products. So, um, you know, most brands aren't going to have a problem with us using their photo to promote a product that they have. Another thing that we post on Instagram is a lot of pop culture stuff. So, you know, an important part of collecting uh, and the reason why people collect is because it's stuff from their favorite books or movies, you know, just uh, franchise favorites. So Star Wars is one of the great examples, but there, you know, there's Star Trek, Marvel, Hello Kitty, Jurassic Park, um, anything like that that has a long, you know, storied history of movies and comics and toys uh, those types of things make great photos to post because people remember it. They have like an emotional connection to something, um, you know, about that movie. Maybe it was their favorite movie when they were a kid or, 
you know, they just it takes them back to a certain time in their life or something. So whenever there's like a movie's anniversary um, or some relevant date, then, you know, we'll post something for that. So like on Star Wars Day, of course, you know, we didn't post Star Trek stuff on Star Wars Day. We posted Star Wars <laughs> images. Um, uh, I've got a confession to make. And uh, if you Google uh, Paul S. Kemp, my name, Paul S. Kemp, uh, you get the Star Wars writer. The one uh, he's a, uh, I guess he's quite a famous uh, uh, author that has taken the Star Wars genre and uh, then just expanded the universe. What was that? Yeah. So uh, Paul S. Kemp is the author of um, many Star Wars books, and that's my name. And uh, <laughs> every time I Google my own name, I keep getting the Star Wars writer, and he he's, oh. he's written a lot of uh, fiction books. Uh, to expand the universe of Star Wars. Uh, I believe there's a whole industry that's kind of geared towards uh, expanding the Star Wars universe and making sure it all fits together. Yeah, and that's something that um, has been uh, discussed a lot recently because Disney acquired Lucasfilm, obviously, uh, so they're, you know, they're making this new movie, Episode 7, um, and they've actually had to appoint a, a, uh, like a task force, a committee, to oversee the expanded universe. Um, and the reason is because there's literally hundreds of books um, and other things like toys, comics uh, that are things that didn't take place in, you know, what's called like the canon or like the, the main storyline that was written by George Lucas. Uh, and it's very confusing, honestly. I mean, even as a, you know, a huge Star Wars fan, like I don't know a large majority of the stuff that happens in all those books. Uh, and most of it takes place, you know, after Return of the Jedi. Um, so that's the same time period that they're going to be uh, filming this movie for. Um, so of course they can't really stick to everything that's in those books. So they've already announced that preemptively basically that this is the, the new movie that's coming out is not going to follow, uh, the books exactly that people know and love from, you know, the eighties on to recently. Okay. Yeah. It's going to, oh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun and I'm sure it sounds like Instagram was always made for this, uh, the, the you know, complete set because, uh, it's perfect for it. Um, so, so in the few minutes we have left, uh, I was just wondering, Gary, uh, we often ask guests to um, either share an app idea that you may have had, uh, that, uh, you know, one of your uh, favorite app ideas that you had inspiration for whilst walking or wherever you got that. Uh, or if you haven't got an app idea, um, think back to the last few months of your business and any particular pain points, and maybe we can help you solve those pain points with... Uh, an app idea or two? Uh, well, one app idea I have that, you know, we haven't worked on, we haven't actually built, um, will appear, uh, appeal mostly to, uh, you know, Americans because in America there's this whole like made in USA thing. People love things that are American made for whatever reason. Um, it's a patriotic thing, you know, it's basically nationalism. You know, people love uh, things that are made in their own country. So we want, we want to make an app that, you know, eventually that, um, allows people to find alternatives to products that are in stores. So if you scan like a UPC, it'll tell you an alternative product that is made in the USA. So if you go in any store, like Walmart is a big one we have here, or Target, most stuff is not made in the United States anymore. But when it is, they market it as a, uh, you know, a good thing they could charge more for because things typically cost more if you make them domestically for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, 
that's something that we'd like to do at some point. We came up with that idea a, a while ago, and we just haven't done anything about it because complete set takes up all of our time. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, this is a great idea, I and mean, there could almost be a series of apps. It doesn't have to just be made in the USA. We could have made in the UK, made in uh, Europe, or wherever the uh, home Correct, country is. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the other thing that I just thought of in terms of, because uh, we have indie app developers listening to this, and they love, uh, you know, these ideas that come out of the show. Uh, it is almost like you could scan a product and then get a history of the supply chain. So you can see how much of it is made in the U.S., you know, because often that it's only assembled in the U.S. and all the parts are coming overseas. But if you imagine like having some way to uh, unbundle the entire supply chain to see uh, how much of the product is created in the U.S. or, you know, yeah, yeah there's, an, there's an app idea. That would be that would be really cool. Um, I think there's actually a website that is similar to that. Um, I think the big challenge with something like that, though, is like it's really like a novelty, you know. And, and many apps are, you know, it doesn't necessarily solve a problem. Like it's really cool, like to think of, but it's like, would someone actually use that? You know, maybe not. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like it would be cool to have, but I just feel like even I would use it very seldomly. But with something like collectibles, which is you know, of course, what we're doing. Uh, with complete set um you know it's collectibles is a hobby but it, it's so passion driven and emotionally charged that people are you know are going to check it regularly um it's something that they're always on the hunt for the next item for their collection and that's you know where we come in well G gary we're unfortunately getting towards the end of the episode I, I honestly could chat to you for a long time because there's so much interesting stuff that you're doing <laughs> uh, you know i mean what a great business that you're you're involved with i mean you're making a lot of people happy around the world i'm sure by you know just giving them the uh, f complete set and uh, uh, so uh, before we say goodbye then is there any um, any last tips you have for anyone who is thinking about following their passion there may be a little bit uh, nervous or you know confused about what to do what could you how could you appeal to anyone who's potentially going to just start their own project start their own business uh, any any words of advice i would think that something that everybody should uh, do is just start on it you know stop making excuses and you know thinking about oh well if if this happens then i'll do it or uh you know if if, if i find someone to work on it with me then i'll do it you should just start on it because it's much easier to do everything, including a recruited co-founder, when you actually have some traction, something to show somebody. Um, and then the other thing, going back to what we talked about earlier, uh, just talking to people. It's very important to spread the word about what you're doing. Unless you have like the cure for cancer or something, there's really no way to keep your idea like, completely secret or, or no reason to do that. Um, and then, of course, uh, lastly, persistence is key if you know you're not super passionate about what you're doing um and you don't just stick it out no matter how hard things get then you're probably not going to be successful so it's very important to you really love what you're doing and uh you know be passionate about it and always look back to why you started it in the first place to keep yourself motivated well, Gary, I want to thank you very much for you know joining us on the App Guide podcast. It's been a, a wonderful journey with you, and uh, well, good luck to everything you're doing with Complete Set. How best can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? If you've you know said something that they want to just follow up on, uh, how best to connect with you? 
Uh, well, they can contact uh, us through the Complete Set website. If they just go to completeset.com, uh, they can also request an invite there if they'd like. Um, but on that site, there's actually a contact form where they can essentially just send us an email and, you know, we'll get in touch with them as soon as, uh, you know, we get the message from them. Sounds like the Millennium Falcon is landing on your roof there. <laughs> that is, uh, sorry, that was a garbage truck. Oh, <laughs> That's what they sound like over here. I just, really loud. Yeah, I just, it sounded like you're on the Death Star there for some, some bizarre reason. But uh, just, Unfortunately, I am not. <laughs> Well, is there any um, anything you're uh, looking for? Anything in complete set that you're desperately needing? I mean, there's so many things that I want, and the ironic thing about complete set um, is, you know, working on it. I, I see so many things that, like, man, you know, I really wish I could have. I know. That <laughs> I was know, wondering when, how you restrain yourself from buying like everyone else that's listing Star Wars stuff. It's it's really hard because. Um, and like I said, the ironic part of it is as a startup, you know, you don't have enough money, right? Like, you know, we don't get paid to do this yet. It's, you know, we're not like uh, swimming in the money here. So as a result, <laughs> uh, you're, you're really restricted about what you can buy. So ironically, you know, it makes it difficult working on complete set, a site for collectors, being a collector myself, it's hard to be a collector when you don't have a lot of money to spend on the collectibles that we're putting on a site. So yeah. it's... uh really amusing sometimes and almost every day I see something that I you know I wish I had I mean yesterday there was like probably like three or four things that I want you know one of them alone is $150 so that's a lot of money um, <laughs> to spend on one item I was gonna say at some point it, it could become like gazelle.com where you know you literally just buy the uh, things almost do an arbitrage so you buy the stuff and uh, then um, so, so that uh, people can raise money quickly uh, and then you know the value of it then you resell it uh, for a higher price and uh, become yeah. like a mediator yeah. um, Gary uh, it's wonderful thanks very much all the best with what you're doing with Complete Set welcome back anytime and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this chat for the App Guy podcast thank you Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy Podcast. 